storytelling isn't just about words. It is about graphics. It is about interfaces. It is about how the user intuitively navigates through a flow. This is Writers in Tech, a podcast where today's top content strategists, UX writers, and content designers share their well-kept industry secrets. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Writers in Tech, a podcast brought to you by the UX Writing Hub. My name is Yuval Keshtecher, and I am the founder of the UX Writing Hub, which is a platform that is dedicated for all of you writers out there to succeed at UX writing, content design, UX content design, content strategy, whatever you decide to call it, product writing, whatever, we're here to help you to communicate your digital experience in a better way so you could delight your users with fantastic experiences. And today I have a special guest, Maggie Trisler, content designer, musician, writer. Very excited to have you. Hey, Maggie, how are you? Hi, thanks, Yuval. I'm happy to be here, too. Is it true that you had a show last night, I believe, or today? It was actually last Wednesday, which is... I had initially scheduled this for a week ago. But yeah, my band played a show at a bar here in town. We're not like huge deals or anything, but we do get out. It's so good. It's so good. That's cool. That's awesome. And that you are doing punk rock, correct? Something along those lines. I do have some genre purists that will tell me that it's not punk rock. It's just high energy rock and roll or garage rock or anything along those lines. It's fine. It's loud. It's fun. We're a little bit snarky. That's That's the vibe. So as a musician and a principal Mm -hmm. content designer, do you think that there is a connection between being a musician and being a content designer? Oh, man, I haven't thought about that particular one. But yeah, I think there is because... Going out and playing shows, it's not all about like just playing the music. You, When you're on stage, you're thinking about stage presence. You're thinking about like remembering to like hit your selling points, like introduce the new song, introduce the single, tell people where to get it. It's really a whole cumulative package. And you do kind of have to keep that big picture view in mind, just like you do when you're working on a user flow. I hadn't really thought about that. In general, I'd say both are probably more helped by the years I spent working in bars and restaurants. That's awesome. So tell me more about your background. Yeah. So I am initially, originally from Indiana, grew up uh, in a suburb of Indianapolis and graduated from Ball State University. So I'm a Midwestern kid through and through. Shortly after graduation, I moved down here to Memphis, Tennessee for reasons I won't go into, but I've been here for (laughs) 14 years and it's definitely affected the way I speak, the way I approach things. At Ball State, I graduated with a degree in poetry, creative writing and poetry. And the first thing they teach you when you sign up for a creative writing major is to learn to do anything else because there ain't no money in poetry. And I did. I spent probably five years trying to get into some sort of marketing or graphic design background. And that stuff stayed with me, but it took me a while to kind of stumble through different variations of that career. And there were like five or six years where I was just, I was working at bars and restaurants. I was waiting tables. I was mixing drinks, basically making things right when things went wrong in the kitchen. Just always like being very user focused or very guest focused in this case. That's awesome. Just always focusing on their needs and trying to 
get the best outcome possible. It's pretty cool. So like the connection between hospitality and or even people that go into a restaurant to UX writing, that's something pretty fascinating. So you feel like yeah. it's your background, that type of background prepared you in a better way to what you're doing today, which is being a principal content designer at Fidelity Labs, right? Yeah, yeah. Like I said, I just started on August 1st, so I'm still getting the lay of the land for this particular role. Congratulations. Well, thank you. I'm very excited. But I've been working in uh, UX writing in one form or another since about 2016. And doing that was like the first time I felt like I could use everything that I'd done. I you know, gave feedback to UX designers and front-end designers. I had to communicate with devs. So I'm like using all of that background, all of the years I was a failed graphic designer or failed website developer. I got to actually put that experience to use for the first time. And well, when I started, I was working at Hilton Hotels. They're, they have a, one of their worldwide corporate offices is here in Memphis. When I got on that, one of the first tasks I got put on was the Hilton Honors app. And doing that, I kind of felt like I was working as a stand-in for the front desk. So doing that kind of like let me connect that customer service stuff I was doing at bars and restaurants to what I was doing at my new desk job, to my new career in UX writing. And it just sort of opened up a lot of possibilities and new thinking about how I could use writing skills and storytelling skills in my career and in my specific role as a UX writer, beginning to understand that storytelling isn't just about words. It is about graphics. It is about interfaces. It is about how the user intuitively navigates through a flow. And that just generally really opened my mind. And then the poetry training, of course, helps a lot because with both UX and with poetry, you're trying to get across the greatest amount of information with the lowest amount of words possible. You're trying to distill everything down to its most essential meaning. I think that you are a very talented person, Meg. I will tell you why. <laughs> okay. Because you managed to connect so many dots from your past, like experimenting with web development. Okay, so you failed at it, but you gained some experience in it. Same goes with graphic design. You gained some experience in it. You consider yourself as a failure in it, but you took whatever you took from it. You did poetry, even though it wasn't like, like according to what you said, like the best financial decision, but you took what you could from that and also you took your background in being a server and working in desk in different hotels for example or different bars you translated all of the different things that you gained in order to yeah. be a ux writer and i think i think you got skills well you. that's very much what i was saying in our like very first conversation on linkedin was I feel like I've stumbled through a lot of my career. And the trick is not to be great at everything. The trick is to learn as much as you can from everything that might not work long term. Like there is a real joy in being able to connect all of these things that didn't seem to make sense at the time. And it's not the first you. time in my life I've done that either. I said that I graduated with a degree in creative writing and poetry. I did not start with that by any stretch of the imagination. I've been everything from 
like a study to be an English teacher, to be a youth pastor at a Christian church. I've studied to, I've studied philosophy. I did not understand it, but I studied it. I like even did telecommunications for a minute, which is kind of why I have decent audio equipment right now. Wow, um, it is decent. And also a background full of guitars, by the way, for people <laughs> that can see it right now. <laughs> yeah, I turn 40 next month. I've had some time to build up a decent collection. Nice. I turn 40 and I still play in a punk rock band. Like, I, I have an excuse. Punk rock is coming back, I'm telling you. Like, you <laughs> say it was never gone, but like if we look at mainstream, so early 2000s, I'm telling you, pop punk rock. I was a teenager, teenager back then. That was the mainstream, Blink-182, Sound 41. We had some oh, yeah. Israeli, Israeli pop-up pop bands, like Useless ID. We were fans. We were like going to shows, and my friends at high school had a pop-up band. Yeah. And I was like jealous about it because I, wasn't, I, had, I didn't have a cool guitar, and I didn't do all of the jumps and all of those, but I tried. I tried. See, I just remember the Blink-182, Sum 41 pop punk thing. And I remember that dying out in like 2000 when the Strokes and the White Stripes came on. And I found out yesterday, I found out yesterday because of a conversation with a friend of mine, that is not true. The pop punk thing kept going. So you'll have to make me a mixtape or something or a Spotify playlist or whatever you use. Will do. But uh, for example, a lot of traditional pop artists traditional i'm talking about demi lovato right but a mm -hmm. lot of different pop artists rebranded themselves as pop punk people right now so demi lovato oh, yeah. i just listened to a podcast episode about they doing their rebranding it's interesting well yeah and also I mean, machine gun kelly he did the yeah a rap album and then he rebranded himself and i was a pop punk person so kind of the opposite track that the beastie boys took those who thought and most likely died for our right to party um <laughs> may they be long remembered i get i lost my train of thought on on the music thing which is fine nah, that's a little know, music, off music make us lose control but, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but oh uh, yeah i mean i was gonna say like even charlie x's xcx's boom clap mm -hmm. like the only line really between that and garage rock is the production she's got a little bit more reverb on it than she would if like she were a band like Miss World, who's just basically doing guided by voices style lo-fi rock. But that's a little catchy. I mean, Miss World specifically kind of reminds me of the early 2000s, uh, early 90s and early 2000s Pacific Northwest twee rock scene. But we are we have way off playlist. topic from UX writing. <laughs> yeah, it's off topic than UX writing, but uh, it brings me back to the topic oh, yeah. when I'm about to tell about myself that you know, I had also a lot of different changes and places in my life where I was, you know, a last school dropout and a QA automation mm -hmm. person and graphic design for different restaurants and bar, doing a transition to UX design eventually, building a company, hosting a podcast. Sure. Doing, so do you think there, there is a connection? First of all, why do you think you have people like that that just like that you know i know that m most people are not like that so mm -hmm. why do you think it's like that and why do you think we end up at ux eventually <laughs> why do we end up at ux in your opinion well i think a lot of the reason we're good at it is that it's really hard to focus i mean i for one 
am diagnosed with ADHD and I struggle with it. I probably could take a higher dose of meds, but I really like my coffee. That's a very important part of my day. Making about two cups or I'm sorry, two pots. Yeah, and I'm there too. Yeah. I hear you. With the ADHD and with the coffee, minus the medications, that's where I'm at right now. Yeah, yeah. Without the medications, I'd be doing at least four to five. But with the medications, I have to be down to like four or I will never sleep. It's already hard enough for me to sleep. But I think like a lot of the reason we are good at UX stuff, and this could be very well tied to why we end up here. I think a lot of the reason that we're good at UX and why we end up doing it is that we are scattered, is that we are bouncing around from side project to side project. One of the big, I don't even want to call it a symptom, but one of the features of ADHD that's pretty common among all of my friends with this diagnosis is that we start projects all the time. We get halfway curious about a thing and then we just absorb as much information about it and as many tools to do it as we can. Again, I'm still hyper fixated on music. I have actually 10 guitars. There's two of them that don't fit on here. Got keyboards. I've got computer keyboards as well. Lots of tiny little half finished, half built computers because I got curious about that. Nice. As people with ADHD, like we are just inherently curious people. And because it is a form of neurodivergence, we are very sensitive to accessibility needs. And we are very sensitive, especially to cognitive load in an interface. So a lot of the times we can look at something that our employers are building and just be like, I do not understand that. How can we simplify it? Because we, I mean, we are the edge cases that we need to solve for. We're not uncommon. I don't really want to call us edge cases, but we are very sensitive to the cognitive loads that interfaces require of us. And so we are the people who are m probably most qualified to say, hey, there are way too many words on this screen. Can we cut out at least half, if not three quarters of them? Can we maybe go back and make this multiple screens? That's not ideal, but it would be easier to understand what's going on. So yeah, like really... We just have that firsthand experience that makes us solve for the needs we need to be solving for. I couldn't agree with, with you more. But what about that guilt? And, you know, people like me, when I started out, like people can listen to us right now, and maybe they also started different things, and then they halfway through, they didn't finish them on a personal oh, yeah. level. I have so much guilt when I start something. Even when I start like a project management tool, and it end up in my project management tools graveyard, and I have like tons of those. <laughs> So what about the guilt and the feeling of being a failure? Like, how can you, what's your like tool? Like, I don't know if you feel like that. I feel like that sometimes, but is there a way to build confidence through that? So we could keep being productive and stuff. You know what I mean? Did it make sense? Well, okay. So I didn't necessarily know about the hobby jumping or even emotional dysregulation, which is, a thing my therapist and I are working on. I, being very aware of the tendency to jump hobbies, has made it a lot easier for me to understand that, like, this isn't because I quit. This isn't because I gave up on something. It isn't because I lost interest. 
It is just because this is not the main thing in my life. And I maybe hit it a little hard and got a little burnt out on it. I don't know if you're familiar with the concept of doom boxes. I don't know. No, I'm not familiar with it. This came up about a year and a half ago is probably the first time I'd heard this. And I had just moved and it was taking me forever to unpack everything. And I kept like moving everything that I couldn't figure out where it goes into other boxes. And those boxes, I knew what was in them. If I ever needed that thing, I knew where they were, but it wasn't an organized box or anything. In fact, there are two of them right here behind me. In fact, that was just me cleaning off these desks yesterday because I had to move them around. So yeah, I have a habit of like taking projects that I've been working on that I've been really excited about, sometimes even that I've spent kind of a lot of money on. Mm-hmm. And I just have to stop them. I can't, like either I don't have time. I'm taking the paint off of one of the bedroom doors right now. And I've been doing that since April. It's out in my garage right now. It's half finished. It's just been so hot that I can't do it. I know that I will eventually get back to that one because it's high priority. I might not get back to other hobbies. And I think just understanding that this is part of how my brain works helps me get rid of the guilt. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make it any easier for me to like consider a massive financial expenditure if I have to like buy computer parts or video game consoles. It doesn't make it any easier for me to avoid those. But when I do have a splurge like that and then I forget or lose interest or just move on to the next really exciting thing, I don't feel terribly guilty about that anymore. Nice. I can also recognize that, like, I have a lot of friends who, you know, struggle a little bit more financially. And I know that, like, I can just hit a few of them up and it's like, hey, I just bought this and I don't have time for it. If you have a use for it, it's yours. So I can basically, in in that small way, kind of spread around, like, turn my problem into a benefit for my community. And that's cool. That it means a lot to me to be able to do that. I hope that doesn't come across as condescending. I'm sure no, no. to some I people think, it might. I think it's good. It's good. I don't think it's condescending. I think, you know, you're doing your best to, you know, confront that behavior pattern when you start new thing you yeah get, like for me right now it's ai painting so are you familiar with like mid journey dolly all of those oh yeah yeah so i'm like in the rabbit hole right now where like i don't sleep and weekends after weekends i'm just like writing a prompt and i experiment and test with oh, it yeah. because i'm creating pieces of art with words and yeah. I feel like for the first time in history i could oh that that fixation is that that fixation is a very real thing. I don't allow myself to play video games for that reason. I know if I got a newer console, basically anything since Nintendo 64 is just too stimulating for my brain and I lose entire weeks to playing yeah. like I think the last video <laughs> game I played was like Tony Hawk Pro Skater 3 and I spent nice. a week straight playing it and just exploring those worlds. And I missed a bunch of classes. I failed a couple that semester because I spent so much time playing Tony Hawk that I couldn't focus on anything else. And so that was a long time ago, but I just can't, I can't let myself do that. 
because of that obsession, because of that fixation. And still to this day, like I'll get fixated on a project around here, like whether I'm like writing and editing an essay or recording a new song or doing some freelance work. Like there, there are days I will look up and just not realize that I've been sitting there since eight in the morning and it is now three in the morning the next day. Wow. Are you eating at least? Not as much as I should. Yeah, I have to admit Don't that. forget to eat and drink water. That's important. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If you have to set timers to remind yourself to do that, absolutely do that. Buy some like granola bars or something. Have <laughs> them at your desk. Important. Uh, yeah. And pro tip for anyone listening who is on ADHD medications, I do find that eating something fatty like an avocado or some eggs right before you take your meds does really smooth out like the hard edge at the end of the day when they start to wear off. It does like just help everything go a little bit more smoothly throughout the day. And if you forget to eat, you've already eaten something fatty. So your body at least has something to work off of. Yeah, if any, like I'm exploring a lot, like I'm also like late bloomer to the like ADHD party uh, treatments because I was never diagnosed until like a few years ago. Yeah. So uh, I'm learning about like nutrition lately and even doing sports that I'm not doing as much as I should and all of those stimulations, uh, you know, avoiding, for example, video games, which is something I'm not doing because I'm trying, you know, to get hold of the beast. And if there's something, I'm like, okay, run on that wave and see what it's going to take. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Having fidget toys at your desk is great. If If you're ADHD or autistic, like STEM toys are amazing and do help you get through the day a lot. Right now, I just got a couple pieces of like magnetic hematite that I picked up from a witchy shop in town. Nice. And just throughout the day, I'll pick them up and I'll just kind of tap them together. How's this for ASMR? It's good because I'm actually like, I have this issue where I bite my fingers or like putting yeah. my hair. So it's, that's not good. Well, I just referenced moving my desk around because my office was in the next room, but I'm turning that into a guest room. And so I've got this desk that I built that I got to use again for a couple of weeks. It kind of looks like a mid-century Dutch modernist. I built the monitor riser too high and like the angle, the camera angle, if I was on a call and I looked down to sketch a note, the angle was so high that you couldn't see that my eyes were open when I would be taking notes or doodling to keep myself alert. And during a meeting yesterday, I just had like five people slack me and ask if I was still awake. And I'm just like, I'm very alert. What is going on? (laughs) And then I just had to like video record my screen as I like doodle and just like, oh, I, that really looks like I'm asleep. I need to do something about this. This is mortifying. (laughs) And so I had to like rearrange half of my house last night, but that's fine. I have more desk space in here. I can finally actually like record in my off hours. I can spread out a little bit more during the day. That's cool. It looks very organized from where I sit. And, it is uh, very it not right now. <laughs> no, it looks like very symmetric, like the wall with all of the guitars and all of the boxes. And it looks very. I got pretty tight. good at making things look organized without them actually being organized. There are doom boxes everywhere, stuff full mm-hmm. of parts of projects that never got off the ground or might get off the ground or are spares for projects that are going. So, if anybody needs an internal DVD drive for a tower <laughs> computer, let me know. I have three. So since it's a UX writing podcast, 
And to be honest, I feel like everything we talked about was very useful for people that kind of struggle with their process and yeah. how to organize their set up, you know, their desk until like how to set up their thoughts even towards, you know, the process of writing. So, okay, now comes the tricky part. So let's say that we have a project right now, a UX writing project, we're procrastinating because that's what the ADHD what people do, do <laughs> right? We do so, our best work at the last minute, right? The best work at the very last minute. So ways to kind of, you know, own that and do it in the best possible way. So, like sometimes I procrastinate and never actually do it. So Right. And that's not good for work in case you need to be productive and it's you don't want to get fired. Yeah. Right. So any kind of like tools and processes and things you can do in order to, you know, I'd say confront your procrastination. For one, this desk is a sit-stand desk that being physically active throughout the day does actually help me forgiving yourself a little bit, understanding that the way your brain works means that some time that feels idle is your brain working through some problems. Just because you are not at your desk does not mean that you are not working. If you have to get up and walk around to think clearly, by all means, do that. Don't be afraid to talk about like what you're dealing with. Like yesterday when my manager and a couple of my coworkers were slacking me to make sure that I was awake on that meeting. I'm just like, yeah, I was just doodling. I had no idea that I need to doodle in order to stay alert or I need to fidget with something. I need to do that in order to absorb information better, kind of filter out the noise from the signal. And having language to talk about that makes it a lot easier to talk about that. Let's see. I have yet to find a to-do list application that works for me. I have in like Todoist and I use reminders on my iPhone all the time. I finally submitted and bought an Apple Watch. I did it and it's in the drawer for you now. <laughs> well, one of the things that I did that has helped me the most was turning off all of the notifications except for the mm, most yeah. important ones and then setting the time to give me to buzz my wrist uh, in the accessibility settings you can do this i have just the regular clock set to buzz my wrist every 15 minutes so that i don't necessarily know what time it is i don't necessarily have dedicated time but i am aware that time is passing so i don't oh. spend four hours staring at one thing if I'm staring at something and then my wrist buzzes and I look down, there's no notification. It's just that it's 9.30. I know that like, hey, I've just spent a lot longer than I meant to looking at this one mm. element. It is time to move on to the next thing and I can come back to this a little bit later. That's so smart. Isn't it like distract you from your deep work or something like that? Or you just like, it's like in the background? No? It is just in the background. Like if it's just uh -huh. that, like I... Knowing that time is passing while I'm in deep work mode kind of helps me manage that in a more neurotypical way. It helps me pull out of it and say, like, I need to move on to another task or I'm going to get absolutely nothing done. Or it helps me say, like, hey, yeah, I know I spent more time doing this element than I meant to, but I'm on a roll. We're going with this. It helps me make decisions about it rather than just stumbling chaotically through my life which cool. has worked out for me so far but yeah when i do get overwhelmed i do need to make to-do lists and 
Like I said, I haven't found an app that works for me very mm -hmm. well. I basically set reminders to check my to-do list. And then I still do it like pen and paper in just a journal. I keep one in my wallet even. I, have a, I think I have a tip for you if you're... It's not a tip. It's just a tool that works well for me, you know. Yeah. Uh, but there is this tool named mem.ai, M-E-M.ai. Okay. Have you heard about Rome Research by any chance? I have not. All right. So it's it supposed to be similar familiar, to that. but I'm not. So I sent you a link right now to mem.ai. We can add it to the show notes as well. And basically, what you're doing with mem.ai, you open new mems. Like every note, it's like a new mem. Uh-huh. And are you familiar with the Second Brain podcast by any chance? I have heard of it. I've listened to a few episodes. Amazing. So I recommend it to I recommend the audience to check it out. Basically it's talking about how to use note taking in order to like document your second brain and how we use note taking and like going back to his notes from like three years ago, yeah. allow him to build like new stuff and increase mm -hmm. his creative process and yada yada and he's doing it like with notion or something like that. But mem.ai is like the ADHD version of Notion because you can organize it in a really interesting way. So every mem, you can use hashtags for every yeah. mem. So for example, I have like hashtag meeting recap and hashtag real estate. So every time I narrow down real estate and meeting recaps, it will be meetings that related to real estate meetings, yeah. right? Okay, so that and, this kind of looks like it does markdown formatting. So I can just use whatever keyboard and load it in there. And the fun part about this tool is that it's connected to my email. So I can forward emails to it and then mm -hmm. it will be a new mem. So I can, if I see like an important email, so I'm terrible to manage my inbox. It's, uh, I'm the worst at it, right? So mm -hmm. if I see something extremely important, I used to like star it and then never go back to it. So now I'm just yeah. forwarding it to say they have like special email and then it send it to your mem account and hashtag whatever the context it is. And then I can go back to it even like one year after, two years after, and so Great. on. So they have like a web clipper. So you can save yeah. websites and resources to it. That's always nice. They have a bot to WhatsApp. So I actually use the WhatsApp bot to capture my dreams. So I have in that tool like a database of all of my dreams now. It's pretty wild. So oh, if you nice. go to like hashtag dream, yeah. I have a database of my dreams. And yeah, to be honest, it's also collaborative. So I'm using it for to manage my team right now and to okay. do my to-do list. And I always forget to update it, but sometimes, <laughs> you know, yeah. I update it. Anyway, I recommend people to check it out. It's pretty wild. Yeah. I mean, I'm always looking for good collaborative tools to work with like my band or anything to make sure that everybody's got show and practice schedules. Having something like that would be really useful in those situations. Oh, if you're managing so, so, any sort of team, I mean, I mentioned bands because they're notoriously hard to organize. But I mean, it could be your, it could be your office. That makes sense to me. So you can manage even multiple teams. You can have like one mm -hmm. like group of notes related to your band and one group of notes related to your team at work. And yeah. It's pretty wild. Anyway, it's also integrated with your calendar. So you can basically do note taking for every meeting in just nice. a click of a button. Yeah. I mean, I, one I of the other great things. should pay me for promoting them. 
<laughs> One of the other great things about the watch is having those calendar notifications. Like I have been late to so many fewer things since I've had this in my That's life good. before. The, yeah, the, I mean, the, as far as like paper note taking goes, part of the reason that I have trouble with, part of the reason that I have trouble with online and digital to-do lists is there is often very little way to mark that I am in progress on a project or a to-do. And so one thing that I learned actually from my ex-wife, I do have to give her serious credit for this. She used to take, or she used to create to-do lists with check boxes in front of the task that she always used like progress bars. And I have definitely adopted that. And that is one of the ways that I keep track of what I'm actually working on versus like what I still need to do or what is not done. I mean, it helps me prioritize the things that I have started and might be like three quarters of the way through or might be one quarter of the way through. It is a good way to visualize that. So if somebody out there wants to develop that app, I will absolutely use it. Otherwise, I'm sticking with my, my, my pen and paper primarily, but if I can back it up with something like like MAI or... Yeah, just like my main issue with paper note-taking, which I think it's the best solution, by the way, because it's so easy and you can... It's tangible, you can feel it. And when it's in front... I'm still working, by the way, with uh, a notebook. And every day I kind of sketch my my to-do list for that day just to keep my focus and and head around something. Right? But um, the thing is that the idea that it's not going to be documented anywhere and it's going to be lost in time after I write it down. It's kind of make me anxious. So that's why. I used to have that problem too. I would write it down and forget about it. Yes. A couple of years later, I started, a couple of years ago, I started buying these like field notes, notebooks. Oh, nice. That are like just very notebook? small and pocket sized. I'm sorry? Is it like a rocket notebook where it's like documented to your drive or something? You could do that. I am so bad about keeping track of all that. But basically, I have one of these on my desk for work tasks specifically. And then I have one that I bought a wallet for. So this is my actual wallet. And I open it up and there's a notebook right there. I keep a pen right here. So I just always have this on me. And like somewhere in the back, I've got a to-do, an ongoing to-do list. And the rest of it is just like random thoughts I have throughout the day. Sometimes like notes from therapy. Sometimes it's when I meet somebody new, like I get their phone number. This is where it all goes. And then when I get home, then I take and I back up and I file and organize. Usually the next day, let's be honest. But but yeah, I'd like that is what has worked best for me is like documenting physically. And then when I load into digital services, I'd use a lot of like Dropbox paper because markdown formatting is super easy for me to understand. And like if I can just type and then it comes out automatically formatted. That's amazing. If you have like clear handwriting, right? But having the physical scribbles then translated into digital lets me have that extra filter about what's important and what's not. So if like there's a thought that like the next day I'm just like, that was not great. I'm glad I got it, but I don't need to document this. I don't have to. But like adding the things to my other to-do lists, like Todoist, or I'm definitely going to be trying the one you recommended. Yes. You can grab the link from here, from the chat I just sent you. 
uh, in the show notes. And also in the show notes, it's going to be there. So, uh, Maggie, so we have to finish, to be honest. I feel like we could speak for at least one more hour. Absolutely. We should definitely do a follow-up discussion about your, like one more, even like a few months from now. Yeah, um, yeah. Give me a couple months. Let me get settled in this role and we'll have a slightly more focused conversation. That sounds perfect and we have right now an exercise that we're doing with all of the guests of the show okay. where i'm asking the guests since i'm talking to the most talented writers on earth i'm asking my guest hey how do you think we should name this episode and then we kind of think together about the subject line for this episode oh, episode yeah. and then our editor gets to decide if to take it or not, it's just a suggestion, right? Some people don't like me to put them on the spot and they say, hey, give me a week to think about it. That's fine as well. How do you think we should name this episode? Well, there's this notion of um, stochasticity, which is order arising from chaos. It's mm-hmm. like how ant colonies mm-hmm. get built by a bunch of ants who are wandering around and then like, one finds some food and it leaves a trail and then another finds that trail and then follows it and finds more food. So it builds up that trail and order forms out of chaos. And that is very much how this conversation has gone. Um, I'm happy about it though. Yeah, I am too. We find our patterns. We did. So finding patterns or stumbling into patterns? Stumbling Stumbling into into order? Stumbling into order, stumbling into patterns. Sounds good. Stumbling uh, towards greatness. <laughs> I don't know. Making order from chaos or something like that. Yeah. Usually I like to add something related also to UX writing or to writing or to process or something yeah. like that. Or making order from chaos as a UX writer. Maybe something on that notion. We have to think about it. Let's let the editor choose. Yeah. Out of yeah. everything we just said, I think it will mm, be fine. I have to admit, titling things has never been my strong suit. Yeah, many people. Sometimes I have a great title, but it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the thing I give it to. I'm trying to name something for the last six months, so I hear you. Yeah. So to name I mean, sometimes that is just so much pressure. It's so usually pressure. easier for me to come up with a bunch of titles and then write the thing that goes with that title. Yeah, I hear you. My band's newest song that is not recorded yet. Don't go looking for it. The newest song is called Statement Lip. And I came up, I like, I heard that phrase and I'm just like, that needs to be a song. What song is that? And then I was able to come up with the right title for the right thing. But if I'm titling something that's already created, it's really difficult for me. It's like naming a baby in a way. It's like naming <laughs> a child. Yeah. Like you don't know what it's going to be, but... Does the name create the thing or does the thing earn a name? Oh, that's a good question. And that's, let's let the listeners <laughs> that is to a wonder. That's a question that I have faced before in my life, and we can do that for part two. <laughs> Sounds good. That can be the name of part two, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. That could, be the, that could be the title for this one. Exactly. Uh, save it for part two. Save it for part two. That's a good one. All right. Maggie, thank you so much. I had a pleasure talking with you today. In case people want to find you, reach out to you, even check your band, where would be the best way to do so? I'm going to add the links in the show notes as well. Yeah, you can check my 
weird, maybe not great, but a lot of fun band at Mystic Light Casino. Mm-hmm. Dot com. You can find like my professional stuff at maggietrisler.com, M-A-G-G-I-E-T-R-I-S-L-E-R.com. I'm on LinkedIn, obviously. I mean, I guess not obviously. You don't know that and I'm on LinkedIn. Most of you exciters I know are on LinkedIn. <laughs> but yeah, I'm out there. I try to be fairly easy to find. Sounds good. So I'm going to yeah. add everything in the show notes. And thank you, the listeners, for listening to us today for another episode of Writers in Tech, where we speak with the most talented writers on earth. This podcast brought to you by the UX Writing Hub, which is one of the largest online education platforms for UX writers. And we invest a lot of efforts to do so. We have the UX Writing Academy, which is a program to help people to get into the field of UX writing. And we help them to build a portfolio and you can get a mentor and you're going to work on a real project and get some experience. So that's a lot of fun. So check it out at the UXWritingHub.com. My name is Yuval Kestacher. I'm the founder of the UX Writing Hub. And I'll see you next time. Bye.